0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. In how can I find peace? Peace is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as you read in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. So when you surrender completely to the work of the Holy Spirit and you are filled with the Holy Spirit then you will be able to find peace. One of the beautiful uh, verses in, uh, in Saturday uh, praises we say to the Saint Mary and the Holy Spirit filled every part in you your soul and your body, O Mary, Mother of God. The Holy Spirit filled every part in you. Means she surrendered completely to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why she had peace. Even when she became pregnant and Joseph started to have doubt about Saint Mary and she has no way to defend herself, she's pregnant. But she had peace, she did not lose her peace. And one of the beautiful prescription for peace is in uh, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. And I want you to memorize this verse. He said, Be anxious over nothing, be anxious over nothing means don't worry about anything. Let's be anxious over nothing. But in everything, in anything you are anxious about, through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, then what would be the outcome and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Even when the Lord told us, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, He said, not at the world that gives, so I do. The peace of God is totally different than the peace of the world. The peace of God comes from within. Comes from within. But the peace, uh, so the peace of the world come yeah, it depends on external circumstances. External circumstances are changeable. So any change in these circumstances will make me lose my peace. But if the peace comes from within me, because God is dwelling inside me, then regardless of the external circumstances, I will have this continuous peace. Have a strong relationship with God. Have personal relationship with God. Be committed to your spiritual canon. Be committed to prayer, be committed to the scripture, be committed to repentance, confession, communion, be committed to the liturgy, be committed to the fasting. These are the means of grace, the means through which the grace of God will fill your heart and mind. And thus you will have this peace which surpasses all understanding. Question. Why did the church stop making saints movies like Father Feltaus? I feel like when I was a kid watching these movies had a huge effect on me. Nowadays most of our kids don't have don't know the saints and how brave they were during their time. Even when if we read them the stories watching is a different experience. Definitely, I agree with you that watching is a different experience, but I don't think there is a decision or a resolution was made to stop sales movies. We hope the producers, they can produce more movies, but there there was not a decision from the hierarchy of the church to stop uh, producing sense movies. Up to my knowledge, there was there was no such a decision. So yeah, from here actually I am calling the producers to produce sense movie. And here actually in Nashville, I saw some uh, movies were well, not sense movies, but movies they are very very beautiful. So here actually your group here can produce movies from here, actually, uh, to our children. And uh, I encourage uh, the group that produced some movies before to start producing since movie to the children. Uh, this actually, as you said in your question, will have good impact on our children. When I get married, if I fail, into the youth sin like I used before marriage. What should I do? Actually, what you you said here is true. Some people think when actually they get married, they will overcome this sin. I think you mean here the, the masturbation. But unfortunately, many people, when they get married also they continue in this sin and the reason behind it number one this sin is addictive so it became addiction and it it needs sometimes the same treatment of addiction how we treat addiction you need to use the same techniques in order to overcome this sin. Number two, the pleasure that you get from this sin is totally different than the pleasure you get from a normal relationship with your spouse. And since the person is addictive to this kind of pleasure, which is selfish pleasure, because you are focusing on yourself. In, uh, in uh, the intimate relationship between couples, it is not a selfish pleasure, you give yourself to the other. So the pleasure comes from giving yourself to the other. As Saint Paul said, the wife has no authority over her husband but the body the husband does and the husband does not have authority over his body but the wife does number 3 usually with this sin there is some imagination goes on in your mind this doesn't exist in in the marital relationship so Unfortunately, as I told you, many times if you did not overcome this sin before marriage, it may continue after marriage. That's why you need actually to get rid of this sin. I can give you small hints quickly, but I have a lecture uh, on South Cloud, it is called Overcoming habitual and loved sins. Overcoming habitual and loved sin. تنتصر على اللي انت عليها. اللي عادة And this lecture is available in Arabic and in English, and I want you to listen to this lecture. But few points to overcome this sin. Number one, actually, the grace of God. You cannot overcome any sin without the grace of God. So, you need actually to pray, to ask God to give you His grace to be able to overcome this sin. This number one. Number two, the principle of radical amputation. Radical amputation. What do I mean by radical amputation? The Lord said, if your eye offends you or causes you to sin, pluck it out. He did not say, close it. He said, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Of course, the Lord did not mean it literally, to pluck out your eyes or to cut off. But the principle here, what we call it, radical amputation. You do amputation to whatever causes you to sin. So if what caused me to sin is a friend, then I need to cut this relationship completely. If what causes me to sin, for example, internet, and I became addict to pornography and with pornography I fall into this sin, then you need to cut it off completely from your phone, from your room tell me, but I, I need the internet. Go to public library and try to use it there in front of everybody. The principle of radical amputation is very, very important. When the two angels try to save the Sod- uh, Lord from Sodom, he, they told them, run away for your life. You need to run away. You cannot sit here and fight. St. Peter spoke about Lot, that he was torturing himself day and night, just living among the wicked. So, you cannot have a friend who is tempting you, or you can have, like, internet or whatever, tempting you. You need to run away completely. Third principle is to develop self-control, to be able to say no, to fight the good fight against your body. When the body demands the sin, you need to say no. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest after, St. Paul said, lest after I preach other, I myself become disqualified. Now we are fasting. A main goal from fasting is to develop strong self-control. When you are able to say no to the food, you will be able to say no to other desires, bad desires of the body. That's why those who fast, but fast strictly, and fast uh, ascetically, and discipline themselves, those actually can fight this sin easily, because you have a strong self-control. The last point, if you fall, you need to repent immediately. You need, because Satan will tell you, now you fall in this sin, okay, you can continue in it until you meet Abuna to confess, and then you can fight it again. So for example, in a period of one month, for example, you stayed five days away from this sin. Then you fall. Then you fall, you continued in this sin ten days. Then you repented and you left five days without this sin. Then you fall and you left ten days in this sin. At the end in this month you have 20 days in the sin and 10 days without the sin. So here actually the time you spend it during this month in sin is more than the time you spend it in repentance. But let me make another drawing. If you stayed five sin five days and then you fall into the sin. But immediately you repented, and you meet abuna, and you get the absolution. And after five days again, you fall again, but you rose immediately, and so on. So you will find in the period of a month, you know, uh, you have 25 days, you are away from sin, and only five or six days you committed sin. Which means your body is try- start to forget the sin, because the time you spend without this sin is more than the time you spend without this sin. That's why when I used to, get, yani, to receive confession, I used to, t- to say to the youth, once you fall into this sin, call me text me, let me know, immediately. Because once you, you report it to Abuna, you will get this courage to fight the sin. But if you did not report it, you will say, you know, I'm going to uh, say to Abuna next confession. So from now until next confession, you will continue in this sin. So the time you practice this sin will be more. That's why it will be difficult for your body to forget it. Other practices I mentioned in the sermon, I hope you can listen to it. Since Nashville has one of the biggest Coptic community in the diocese, does your grace plan on ordaining a general bishop? It is in the plan. Sallu, pray, How do I know what is God's doing Or does he test us? For example, how do I know if God sent this person or did Satan towards me? In general, if anything actually brings you closer to God, then this is from God. Friendship. Friendship. If a friend brings you closer to God, then this friend is from God. But if a friend actually is taking you away from God, then he is not from God. About God testing you, God will not test you more than what you can handle. Because God, as Saint James said, does not tempt anyone and he is not tempted by evil. God will never test you or tempt you to fall in sin to see your ability he is not tempted he does not tempt anyone James chapter 1 and he himself is not tempted with evil so you need to have a spirit of discernment and the more you know God the more you will say this is from God you will be able to say this is from God or this is not from God. Like, for for example, if somebody delivered you a message and told you this message is from your parent, from your father or mother, because you know them very well, you can discern whether your parent truly sent you this message or not. So we need to develop the virtue of discernment, as Saint Paul spoke in Hebrews chapter 5. To be able to discern. Anything comes from God for my edification, bring me closer to God, has peace with it. For example, if you are speaking about affliction or trial or persecution, if God allows me to go through hardship, at the end, it will be for my benefit. God will be with me. But if I bring this affliction on myself because of my sins or because of my bad choices, then actually uh, I cannot say God is testing me. Even if Satan is attacking me or uh, bringing some difficulties on me, Don't worry, because Christ will be with you, God will be with you to overcome uh, this temptation. How can someone bypass religious trauma? It is not at the fault of the church, but rather the common perception I grew up with. You answered the question, actually. You said in an objective way, it's not the church, but it's your perception. So if it is your perception, then the solution here is the renewal of mind. As St. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewal of mind. You need actually to change your perception. And to have your perception matches the reality and actually when your perception is very very close to the reality then actually you will be able to handle the world in general better. But what about people who actually had a real religious trauma, how to be healed? from it. it can happen because church is composed of human beings and human beings are fallible whether they are clergy or some school servant or just regular believers. So can a person experience a religious trauma? Yes. I'm not saying no, yes, because all of us are fallible. In order to heal, there are four things very, very important. To heal from any trauma, including religious trauma. Number one, you need to know healing comes from God. The person who traumatizes you cannot heal you. For example, if somebody hit me with my car with his car and I have trauma, I cannot tell him since you hit me and you wounded me, then you must treat me. This is wrong. But I will go to the hospital to get treated in the hospital because the trauma centre is responsible for treating What is the trauma center for me? God, the true physician of our souls and bodies and spirits. Number two, I told you four things. Number two, there is an essential medicine. You need to take it in order to be healed from this trauma. This medicine is called forgiveness real forgiveness forgiveness means to let go it's like a debt usually when the Lord Jesus Christ speak about forgiveness he's speaking as letting go of a debt do you remember the gospel in Saint Luke when he said a debtor has two uh, man has two debtors one owed him 500 denarii, another 50 so it's like a debt if somebody actually, took from you $10,000, and he did not pay you back, you will be traumatized. Once you decide to let go and to forget about this money, you will be healed. As long as you remember, and if you did not let go, you will be traumatized. That's forgiveness. Maybe you're going to tell me about the person who lost 10000 uh, Maybe it, it hurt him financially. Yes, I agree with you. But any psychological or spiritual trauma, I told you, number one, God will heal you. So God will compensate for this $10,000. I'm not speaking about the $10,000, but God will compensate you and give you healing from this trauma when you go to him. But forgiveness is a favor you do it to yourself, not to the other person. For example, if I traumatized you and you decided not to forgive me, maybe I don't care about you. I don't care whether you forgive me or you don't forgive me. And I'm happy in my life. But who is suffering? It is you, not me. But when you let go, of this debt, and he said, I will forget about it, I will forgive. Then you will be healed. So forgiveness is a favor you do it to yourself, not to the person who traumatized you. And forgiveness is an essential medicine for healing. Number three, there are some diseases that can postpone healing. In your body, for example, if I am diabetic and I am wounded, the wound will not be healed unless I treat diabetes. This is a medical information. The same rule applies in the spiritual life. If you have a, a spiritual illness, a spiritual disease. This spiritual illness can postpone your healing until you treat it. For example, arrogance, pride. A prideful person is very, very difficult to be healed. An arrogant person is very difficult to be healed. The same a hypersensitive person person who is so sensitive, uh, it's difficult to, he- to be healed. A person who is lacking forgiving spirit, it's difficult to be healed. A person who wants to remember the evil, for example, if somebody hurt me and done evil to me, I want to remember it. I I don't forget it. It's difficult to be healed. That's why we say in the divine liturgy, remembrance of vice entailing death. When you remind yourself with the trauma that happened to you all the time and you speak about it all the time. That's spiritual illness. You'll not be healed. It's like a person All the time he is looking at the wound and opening the wound. So every time the wound wants to be healed, I open it again. So you need to treat these spiritual diseases that cause you not to be healed. The last point, taking responsibility. Sometimes when you believe you are 100% victim, Victimization actually one of the things that postpone and delay your healing This victim mentality. But take responsibility to say maybe I suffered trauma because I have some role in in in, in this conflict what happened to me. So, taking responsibility will protect you from the victim mentality. Victim mentality is very. When you feel just you are a victim, 100%, this actually will not help you to be healed. But you say, but I'm responsible. Even if your responsibility is 10%, even if your responsibility is 5%, when you take uh, responsibility of this 5%, 10%, 20 50 whatever, you will not feel you are a victim. Then this will give you strength, give you power. And this strength and power will help you to be healed from the throne. I am someone who is considered to be but doesn't identify as too liberal for the Coptic community. Is it possible to be pious, pious, but not expect everyone in my society to live such a life by force? The word liberal means free, freedom. And Jesus Christ came to set us free so the word liberal in itself is not a bad word, but how the society, especially here, define liberalism, if that is a problem. That's why Saint Paul said, "Don't let your freedom an opportunity for the flesh." If I said I am free, so I can do anything, for example, if I can do anything, then I am free, I can come and kill you, that's not freedom, that's not freedom. When you make your freedom opportunity for sin, that is the bad liberalism. But when you are free in Christ, liberal to be free in Christ, nothing wrong in this. So. Can you be pious, means godly, walking in the fear of God? Yes. You are free from the bondage of sin, but you are walking in the fear of God. Yes, you can, if you take the correct meaning of being liberal. Actually, today in the servants' meeting, I gave a lecture. I like all of you to listen to it, actually about how you make choices in your life, especially when it comes to what we call lawful. There are many things are lawful. For example, tattoo, growing your hair, wearing uh, ripped uh, jeans, drinking, some kind of dances, etc. Usually when people discuss with us these issues. They discuss it from a certain point of view. They are lawful. Why you prevent me? Like this question, it's lawful to swim. Why you are banning swimming in the conventions? So the discussion here based on lawful. But in the lecture, and again, it's on SoundCloud, i like to listen to you, i like all of you to listen to it. There are six parameters, I'm going to mention them quickly, but you can listen to it. Saint Paul said, everything is lawful, but not everything is helpful. <clears throat> so, when actually you examine your liberal behavior, ask yourself, is it law- is it helpful or not? Is it edifying or not? Is it offending to others or not? Is it controlling me or not? Is it glorifying God or not? And the last one, does it follow the law of love or the law of knowledge? Law of love means if certain food will offend my brother, I will never eat this food. If certain behavior will offend my brother, I will never do it. The law of knowledge, I know it's lawful. Why actually you put boundaries or restriction on my uh, uh, liberality, on my freedom? Here the mindset is selfish. It's about me. The law of knowledge is about me. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up. But the law of love is about the other, not about me. So these are six parameters. You need to think about it when you examine your liberal behavior. How can I practice being more grateful how can I practice forgiving myself? Grateful is the life of thanksgiving, being grateful to God and gracious to God. In a practic- practical way, count your blessing. So, every day, every day, at the end of the day, you need actually to write it down from one to three things that you need to thank God for. For example, things taken for granted, that this day actually I I spend it in a healthy way. How many persons got sick today? Many, many persons. These are general things, but I am sure every day, you can find something to be grateful for. Then try to mention one, two, three things that you are grateful to others. Somebody made favor for you, somebody treat you nicely. Uh, so write these things. And then give thanksgiving to God in your prayer. And show appreciation and gratefulness to the people who actually did favor for you. Here you are shifting your focus from what's negative on what's positive. You start counting your blessing as the psalm says, Bless my soul, bless all my soul, the Lord, and do not forget all his blessings. Forgiving yourself. You need to accept the forgiveness as a gift from God. Many times, we, God forgives us when we repent and we return back to Him. But we don't forgive ourselves. And this is from Satan. If you don't forgive yourself, this is from Satan. Because Satan doesn't want you to be happy with yourself. When the Lord said love your neighbor as yourself, implies that you love yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, He made reconciliation between man and God, man and his brother, and the person with himself. If you don't forgive yourself, means you are not reconciled with yourself. That's why in self-development, They say there are three steps. Number one, to know yourself. Number two, to accept yourself. And part of accepting yourself is forgiving yourself. And number three, to improve yourself. Know, accept, and improve. So you need to reconcile with yourself. See what are the reasons why you hate yourself. Why you are not willing to forgive yourself? Why you are too harsh on yourself? This is very destructive. If this comes from self-righteousness or if this comes from compulsion, like obsessive compulsion behavior, you need actually to let go and accept the forgiveness from God and to uh, choose not to hold to, to, to help yourself accountable once God accepted you and forgive you. So once God accepted you and forgive you when you repent, خلاص, don't beat yourself up. You need to let go and you need to fight this Another question, I am sorry, this is a dark question, but do people who willingly end their life go to hell, even after living a godly life? If they are living a godly life, uh, then they will not enter their life willingly. If the people ended their life because of psychological uh, or mental illness, the church on them, but if the person who mentally well and psychologically well and ended his life, the church does not pray on them according to the, what the Holy Spirit taught us in 1st John chapter 5. But for your question, are they gonna go to hell or not, God is the ultimate judge. We are actually making Rabbina Adina in John chapter 5, you should not pray for these people. So we don't pray. But who am I to say how God will judge them? Is their salvation in high risk cases high risk? But can I say 100% they will go to hell? I'm not God. If I say this, I am passing condemnation. But it is a sin. It is killing, you it's a sin, murder is a sin. And if a person killed himself, then he has no opportunity to repent. And the Lord said if you don't if you if you don't repent, likewise you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. So the problem of ending a person's life that he commits a sin but he has no opportunity to, to repent. So according to the scripture, unless you repent, you will perish. So the scripture tells us, without repentance, you will perish. So how this person who willingly, without having mental illness, and without having psychological illness, how can he repent? There is no time for repentance. And after this, there is no repentance. How do I eliminate? the distractions of the world and focus on meeting the Lord daily. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 he said, whatever you do, eating or drinking or doing anything else, do it for the glory of God. So, if you focus to make your life to be Trinity-centered, your life is revolving around the Holy Trinity, around God, everything you do, you do it for the glory of God, then you will not be distracted by the world. We live in the world, but we are not of this world. The distraction comes from three things, as the Lord said in the parable of the soul. The pleasure, the riches. And the worries. So, if you are a lover of pleasure, you will be distracted. If you are a lover of money, you will be distracted. If you worry a lot, you will be distracted. And in the parable of the sower, the Lord said, these three things are like the thorns that suffocate, that choke the word of God and suffocate the person himself. That's why he will not be fruitful. You need actually to clean your heart from these three things. Love of pleasure, love of riches, and worrying. When you clean your heart from these three things, you are eliminating distraction. Social media is a major reason of distraction. And actually, if as much as you can, try to avoid social media, this actually will eliminate a major source of distraction in our life right now. If no man can live a day on earth without sin, how will we make it to heaven? I'm glad that you wrote this question, because the answer is in the sacra of the mystery of incarnation. Especially, we are now fasting the Advent, in which we celebrate the incarnation of God, of the Son of God. I want you just to focus with me. In the Old Testament, the beginning, I am a sinner. When I am born, I am a sinner. And then I have all the righteous requirements of the law to fulfill in order to be righteous. And since no man is without sin, even if his life be a single day, that's why everybody failed to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So according, as you said in in your question, if no man can live a day on earth without sin, how we will make it to heaven? No one will be able to make it to heaven. No one. That's why Christ came and He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law as a human being. He fulfilled all the righteous requirement of the law. But He fulfilled them for my sake, not for His sake because He doesn't need it. What does it mean for my sake? If I'm united with Him and become one with him, then his righteousness will be my righteousness. For example, if a very, very, very poor girl gets married to a very, 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 very rich man, then this girl, who is very, very, very poor, becomes rich because her union with this rich man If a regular girl married to one from the royal family, she will be royal because she is united. The same way I am who is rich and wicked and sinner and corrupt. When I am united with the holy righteous man, Jesus Christ, his righteousness will be Counted it as my own righteousness. And this is what St. Paul explained in Romans when he told them while the Jews are struggling to keep the righteousness of the law, the Gentiles who believed in Christ took this righteousness of Christ for free just by accepting Christ and believing in him. So what happens after the Incarnation? As I said, the starting point, I'm a sinner. But in baptism, in baptism I put on Christ. So in baptism I became righteous. I received this righteousness of Christ as a free gift. That's why we dress them in white to symbolize the righteousness of Christ and we put the red ribbon like a cross to say this righteousness, I received it from Christ. So after baptism, the starting point, I am righteous. I am righteous. Then when I am keeping the righteous requirement of the law after baptism, I am keeping them to maintain this righteousness that I received. What if I sin? It's not a big deal. Why? Because God gave me another sacrament called Repentance, Confession and Communion. So through Repentance, Confession and Communion, I can wash my clothes again and they will come white again in Jesus Christ. That is the righteousness of Christ. Versus the righteousness of the law law that St. Paul spoke about. So the answer to your question, because as St. Paul said, you are saved by grace. Grace means you receive the righteousness of Christ as a free gift. So I am not saved by my own works away from the righteousness of Christ, but I am saved by the righteousness of Christ which is given to me. As a free gift in the sacraments of the church. Is God in control of everything? Yes. Is it true that when God creates something outside of Himself, He willingly gives up some of His power? What do you mean? So God will, will lose some power? Definitely not. For instance, When God created the law of physics and gravity, he gave up a certain degree of his power. So if someone falls from a balcony and dies, is this the will of God? Or is this human error with nothing to do with God? I think there is confusion here. God is the one who created the law of physics to govern the world by the law of physics. But God did not lose the power because if God wants a person to fall from balcony and still be alive, he can do it. Or even if he dies like Aftikhus in book of Acts chapter 20, he, he fell from the third floor and Paul raised him from the dead. So how can you say God loses some of his power? But God wants to govern the world through this law. So you cannot say nothing to do with God, because it is God who made the law. Moreover, if someone ends a relationship with a person because of parents' disagreement, is this a will of God or a human decision? How could someone know the will of God versus human will? God actually gives us freedom and free will. So if you end the relationship because of parents' disagreement, this can be the will of God. Maybe like, like in the situation of um, Samson. If Simpson actually listened to his parents, he would have fulfilled the will of God, but because he did not listen to his parents, that's why his marriage failed. But on the other side, if the parents ungodly or forced ending this relationship because of some sinful or greedy intentions, then it will not be the will of God. So, it's based on the situation. So, I think your question comes, Yani, to this point. How to, do, to know the will of God versus human will? Num- I tell you, pray that God reveals his will. Number two, develop the mind of Christ. And you develop the mind of Christ from the scripture. When you read the scripture, You actually understand the mind of Christ so you will think like Christ if you ask, what would Jesus do if he's in my situation? Number three, get spiritual counseling or advice from godly person like your spiritual father. Number four, use your mind and try, if you have many choices, try to say the pros and cons. And remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, St. Paul said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So anything that leads to a holy life, a godly life, if a marriage or relationship leads to a godly life, it is the will of God. If a relationship drifts you away from God, then it is not from God. Not even marriage. For example, if you tell me since I, I I start thinking about consecrating my life completely or I start thinking about monasticism, I, I drifted away from God and my life with God became weaker, then I will tell you it's not from God. So to know it's from God, it should bring you closer to God. Is it okay for someone to marry someone from different ethnicity? Yes, as long as he is orthodox. But you need to know there are some challenges you will face. Mixed marriages from different ethnicity or different culture has many challenges because you come from a certain culture, and the other person comes from a different culture. So the challenges that you face are more than the challenges that if you are from the same background. But I'm not saying it is wrong. I'm not saying it cannot be successful. No, it can be successful and it can be good if both of them understand the challenges and they are willing together to overcome these challenges. But he has to be orthodox or she has to be orthodox. I have been desiring the monastic life for a while now, however, I'm still a bit young and my father of confession told me to wait. I was approached by someone for a relationship, however, I tried to discipline myself because of my monastic desire. This has thus caused issues. What does your Grace think about this, especially that I don't know if the monastic is my call yet, though I desire it." Apparently, is a girl, because she said, I was approached by someone. Actually, if you feel that you want, and if you are ready, or your age allow you to start relationship to get married, and I hope the person who wrote this question is not 15 years old. If you are 15, 16, then no relationship, no (laughs) monasticism. Focus on your studies until you finish your school. And focus on your relationship with God. But if you are, for example, 21, 22, so you can get married, then actually, if you have this desire that you want to explore this person who approaches you to see how this relationship will go, then I advise you to get to know this person. Because the default is marriage. Monasticism is not the default for everybody. Even the Lord in Matthew 19, he said, he who wants to accept, let him accept. So it's not for everybody. When your desire for monasticism is so, so strong, even if you are approached by, you know, the best person in the whole world, you you will feel yourself you are not. This is not an option for you. Uh, monasticism has three vows: poverty, uh, obedience, and celibacy. So if that's what you want to live the rest of your life, and it is a contemplative life, if that's what you want to live the rest of your life, then actually, automatically, you will find yourself rejecting any relationship. Because your heart is totally consecrated to the Lord. Totally consecrated to the Lord. Fully consecrated to the Lord. So again, pray about it. Get advice from your spiritual father because he knows more details about your life. And uh, if you are leaning toward this relationship, and your age is the age of marriage, I advise you to get give yourself a chance to know this person. How to find contentment. St. Paul. In Philippians chapter four said this comes by training. In Philippians four St. Paul said, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse eleven. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned, I have learned that's the key. Learn, training. Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to be abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. So, it needs training, but also dependence on Christ to strengthen me. So, in order to be content, you need to train yourself. If you are full, be grateful. If you are hungry, be grateful. If you have a lot, be grateful. If you don't have anything, be grateful. It needs training to accept whatever situation you are in, to accept it. And what will help you in this training, Jesus Christ to strengthen you. As He said, I can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Why do the most priests in Nashville do not see the full commemoration of saints at least on Sunday? It says in the liturgy book, he can stop at Saint Bishoy. So I think because of the time, some priests يعne, try to stop after Saint Bishoy. But if they sit from Ambmbaaba Tamuhi to the end, actually the liturgy will be longer one minute. So they are not saving a lot yet. We can see the, the full commemoration of saints Saint. and I think you can endure one more minute. Should we believe in dreams? If not, how about dreams Joseph had in Old Testament? They all came true. Dreams are three types. There are dreams from God, there are dreams from Satan, and there are dreams from the subconscious. So, Most of our dreams, most of them, is the subconscious. But there are dreams from God, or there are dreams from Satan. Dreams of God usually bring joy, bring peace, and what will help you here is to, to ask God to reveal to you whether these dreams are from him or not from him. Also you can share with your spiritual father, the dreams, at least he can pray with you to tell you whether this dream is from God or from your subconscious or from Satan. But don't rely on dreams that much. And let me tell you, if it is from God, if your dream from God, God actually will send you the message several times until you know that this dream is from God. Like what he did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the first dream, seven big cows or fat cows or seven thin cows and the thin cows ate the fat cows. Then the wheat. So God, when he sent a message, he was sent it several times. Dreams also from God doesn't mean you are a saint or godly person. Pharaoh was not even a worshiper of God, but God wanted to send him a message. So you can have a dream, but from God, but this doesn't mean automatically if you have a dream from God that you are seen. So you don't need to be puffed up if you have a dream dream from God. How should I pick my partner in the future? You need to choose a person who brings you closer to God. And I don't want you to focus on what quality you are looking for. But maybe it's better to focus on what are the qualities should not be there. For example, if a person is a violent, domestic violence, if a person who is a controller, if a person who is unreasonable, if a person who is dishonest and a liar, person with many promiscuous relationships, person who has unhealthy relationship, attachment of their family of origin. Uh, all these lists are red flag, so when you see red flag like, th- like this, you know it's better to say no, because these red flags can actually destroy your marriage later on. There is a good book called "I Have No One," written by uh, Dr.via Adel Saad with introduction by Abbonaador La. This book is available in Arabic and English. English, I have no one. But Arabic, let's say, It's a very good book. Help you how to pick your partner. And this book is actually available in the Abbey bookstore. But it's a very good book, and I encourage you to read it. How do you do if your parents don't approve your career path? The question here is why. You need actually to discuss with them why they don't approve your career. Maybe they have a point, so you need to listen to them with open heart. And if you reach at a point that you cannot agree together, again, maybe you get uh, advice from a godly, wise person who has experience in this career who can actually mediate between you and your parents. But both of you should be willing to listen to this person. You need to agree on a wise, godly person who has experience in this career. So don't be just stubborn, but listen to their advice. Many, many, many times parents advise because of the experience are better than what you believe it is right, many times. Can you please explain to be the decision to abstain before marriage in our day and time? How does it work that the couple to go to the Abbey (coughs) and never communicate together at all? Or do they just abstain from physical touch? Purpose of marriage? is not only the intimate relationship and to be in order to develop self-control and to be able to say I am not marrying my wife for this intimate relationship only that's why he said we will abstain from each other and will dedicate like the first days the first fruit of our marital life to prayer, which actually is a good practice. And until now, many youth, actually, they practice this. So after the wedding, they come to the abbey or to the convent and spend three days. Of course, they can talk with each other, but they abstain from this intimate relationship. And after three days, actually, they travel and start their honeymoon. And even on the secular level, many, many uh, counselors advise to wait because the stress of the wedding and the stress of the marriage is too, too much. Uh, so they advise to wait for one or two or three days. So you relax uh, before, you know, uh, having, you know, the first intimate relationship so although it is written in the Bible but now in the secular counseling they have the same advice. Glory be to God forever and ever.